that that is a difference between European and American companies. You know, so when uh, Steve Jobs came back into in office, you know, so and he brought Phil Schiller in. So Phil actually called me up at the time and, and asked me about what was going on in Europe. And we had a nice dinner in the evening, and you know, so a couple of we met a couple of times about. You know, so he wanted to learn what the world was about before telling me what to do. Mm. Right. And I think that's important for OKRs as well. Talk to the people on, on the coal face, find out what's going on, and then you know, so agree with them on objectives and, and then you know, so focus on these objectives and let them do what is best to get there. Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, VP of Product Marketing at GTM Hub. Our mission is to prevent organizational hypocrisy. And inspired by the proven objectives and key results goal-setting methodology, GTM Hub offers the most flexible business orchestration software for mission-driven organizations to provide clarity of strategy and execution across teams, functions, and business units. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. In this episode, I'm joined by Gerhard Gerling, a managing partner at Go3 Consulting, based here in Germany. His fascinating journey includes a stint at Apple, Dell, Akamai, Siemens, and at some point, a startup he co-founded, described as the eBay for cows. We discuss the challenges of an A-shaped organization, how agile frameworks and OKRs fit together, and that difficult shift from demand delivery to building products with intent, and more. Let's jump in. Thank you so much, Ganahar, for being on the show. I really appreciate you joining Dreams with Deadlines today. Good morning, Jenny. I really appreciate being invited because this is a super interesting time in the middle of a crisis. And I think we need to start thinking about leadership and how we enable organizations more than just doing what we did before COVID. Absolutely agree. I couldn't agree with you more. So to that end, let's let's start with you, like who you are, your journey. uh, And obviously, you're the co-founder and the co-owner of Go3 Consulting. But I wanted to touch base on like, who you are and how you arrived at what you do today. Oh, well, that's, that's been an interesting journey. And, you know, so this would probably be a podcast by itself because it's been 30 <laughs> odd years by now. Um, but, you know, it all started with me landing at a Berlin university, wanting to become a professor. Uh, I want a stipend to the Silicon Valley to Stanford University in 83, 84. And that was right in the middle of the PC era. You know, so PC Junior from IBM was out. There was a big fight between MS-DOS and CPM86 and stuff like that. And, um, you know, so I just landed in, right in the middle of it. You know, so I was doing my work in linguistics and psychology, actually getting interested in cognitive science. And as I came back to Berlin, and the first thing was not to finish my thesis as planned, <laughs> but I founded a company together with a friend of mine. And that led me into, onto a journey, uh, you know, so that brought me to Apple, where I ended up running product marketing for Europe at the time, you know, so around the time, you know, so when everything was crazy and Steve came back and stuff, got lured away uh, by Dell to run their notebook unit in Europe um, and tripled that revenue and had a lot of fun, you know, so I had dinner with Michael Dell over the success and some, some fun stuff. 
moved on uh, to, uh, you know, so right in the 2000s, um, yeah, so advised the startup in between. Uh, interesting thing in the financial space that actually wasn't possible at the time. You know, so there were too many regulations and stuff. We were running against all kinds of things. And uh, so I ended up working with Akamai right through the 9-11 crisis where we lost uh, our CTO uh, and ran uh, product management and business development for them in Europe. So I had quite, quite a ride uh, and uh, you know, only to end up with Siemens and helping them to divest of the last or pretty much of the last uh, communications uh, activities as a senior vice president in the product uh, management space there. So uh, after that, I was done with big companies and decided to go into consulting, not without stopping and trying another crazy startup, you know, selling, selling cows in Germany, actually, it was a quite interesting experience. Again, we ran into government regulations and stuff. But, you know, so, since about 2011, I've done anything but consult. And mostly, you know, so what you would call digitalization or digital enablement space. We're not doing actual, actual technology but we're trying to enable organizations to become digital. And I think that's a big deal in Europe. Let's touch on the big deal in Europe, because this is something, as we were kind of talking prior to hitting the record button, there's a lot of classical management styles or techniques that are being employed uh, specifically in European companies. And I read in your blog that you think classical management styles won't suffice anymore in today's working environment, especially now that we've become very much remote as a result of COVID, but that organizations need agile leadership. Like that's something where you, you kind of put a pin in it. We need agile leaders. Can you talk about what that actually means? Well, I think uh, classical organizations uh, build their success on being predictable secure uh, and repeatable. And I think that's, that's a great bonus you know, so, uh, of European organizations, in particular German organizations. Everything is organized, everything is structured, you know, so, and you, whatever you do, you, you pretty much have an idea of what the outcome is. Now, as long as the world is a safe and secure place and nothing changes too much, that's great. You can always optimize. You know, so guys like McKinsey tell you, you there's another 10 to 12% optimization potential in that, and everybody's happy, and you know, so we're just going after that. Uh, reality is the world is changing a lot, uh, at a much faster clip. Uh, you know, so I was fa- changing at a much faster clip than most Europeans would like to recognize uh, over the past 10 years or so. Digitalization, you know, so digital change really is, is way bigger than you know, just process optimization. And with COVID, that's become you know, so a brutal, brutal change because all of a sudden you, know, you need to start doing something totally differently. And that's where process doesn't suffice. You know, so all these nice A-shaped organizations that we've built, you know, so, okay, somebody tells you what to do, everything's built into the process, everything waterfalls nicely down, is completely disrupted. It's from, okay, we need to start working virtually. Holy cow, you know, so we need to do, we need to use uh, video conferences. We don't have the infrastructure for video conferences at this point in time and stuff like that, you know, so that, and that's the easy part because all of a sudden business models get disrupted and business models, you know, so they, they are built on these processes, this continuous optimization, and all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. So there's a couple of things that we need to come down to and, you know, so, and people are disoriented in that, you know, so first of all, you can't talk 
to each other like you used to in, in the office. People need to deal with digital communications means that they haven't been used to and ha- that are maybe not even available. You know, so I've got one client that actually had to scramble uh, to build up the infrastructure for video conferencing because they didn't want to rely, you know, so with data security and everything, they didn't want to rely on something like Zoom or anything external like WebEx or whatever you, you want to talk about. So it's it's been quite a challenge over the past couple of months. And I think what organizations are starting to grapple with is the lack of leadership and the lack of clarity where they want to go. And some and people who need to help them with decision making in where they need to go in such a unprecedented disruptive environment. So that's that's I think where the challenge is. Yeah, so our nice A-shaped organizations work nicely with their processes in an undisrupted environment uh, and have ignored disruption to a degree. Digital, digital disruption, you can see that. You know, so in the political environment today, when the U.S. and China are battling over digital technologies, Europeans have nobody on the battlefield. <laughs> that's a, it's pretty sad, a, a sad state of affairs actually. But it all comes down to, okay, we need to find ways of dealing with this disruption in an effective way in organizations. And that requires leadership and focus. And leadership that will bring about this focus. You know, So what is the priority that we're going to do over the next couple of weeks and months? And not how do we follow due process in a changed environment? I think then that kind of segues really nicely into what a lot of what you do now, which is this transformation, right? And then OKR is coupling with that. And some folks, I think, if they've never really understood the OKR framework at what it's meant to do, but they, let's say, have an agile environment, they're working in a scaled agile environment, which a lot of your clients do, like whether it's less or safe or something like this, they may get confused around how agile practices and the OKR framework are supposed to complement each other. Like that's the intent. It's not that they're duplicative. They actually belong together. Can you describe how you explain that uh, and and coach your clients or people who are unfamiliar with OKRs, but they are familiar with agile frameworks, how you explain the blend? Okay, that's actually... Another pretty tricky space because I think a lot of people think that, you know, so when you're doing agile, you actually have a pretty good way of setting yourself goals. Because, you know, so in agile, basically, that you, you've got the, the primate of business value. So whenever, whenever, you know, so every cycle, you know, sprint, whatever you want to call it, iteration, um, you, you basically set yourself business goal, business goals and you optimize or actually you optimize your your uh, delivery for business value. The, the challenge to me is you know, business value is fine. You know, so in the end, you know, so the simplest definition is probably you know, so number of people impacted by the amount of impact. But you know, so even that, I think, isn't good enough because you know, so you can, business value is fluffy. It, it's, really, it's really hard to frame. And so when you're trying to build a product, you need, a li- you need more of a vision. And I think the, the, the challenge is, okay, a lot of people are pretty good at defining, defining a product vision and then, you know, so working, working their sprints at the other end. But I think it's, you know, so what, they're, what they need in between is from time to time to come together and agree upon what are our next goals and objectives uh, on the route, on route to uh, this uh, product vision. 
And, you know, so business value is not just is not going to cut it because it's, like I said, too fluffy. And so I think, and maybe fluffy is not a good term, but I think it's the best I can come up with at this point. But I think what OKRs can help is actually to agree on a midterm objective of where you want to go with your product and set the goals in, in, in the form of key results and see what you can do in terms of optimizing your delivery, i.e. prioritizing the backlog towards that business goal that you're setting. And I think mm-hmm. in, in that respect, OKRs are a great addition to the Agile framework because they help bridge this, in some projects, in particular when they're scaled in large, vast space between you know, sort of a pretty remote product vision and what you're trying to achieve in your next sprint or uh, next iteration or the next couple of sprints. So I actually believe that OKRs are a wonderful addition to uh, the Agile space. And I think Agile is better with OKRs and, and the other way around. OKRs profit a lot from Agile because you can adapt your delivery much better than with, again, you know, so <laughs> a waterfall approach where you're basically locked into delivery over whatever, several months or so and uh, with OKRs. Uh, and agile, you can actually improve and uh, adjust every cycle that you're that you're going. So, you know, so I'm a big fan of uh, combining OKRs uh, and agile, and I've seen that in many organizations that that actually helps because you know. So this discussion around business value that I alluded to earlier in and uh, what I said is almost always one of the most thorny discussions when you're sitting around with the team. What is actually that we're going after? And so our, our product vision is so far out. But, you know, so what is it, you know, so what brings us the most value in the next couple of iterations or so? And when you have OKRs, you know, and you have agreed upon them, uh, it's a four quarter, as most companies do, then that's actually a pretty easy discussion. And that can guide you also your product discovery. Where are you looking? You know, so what is it going to be that you're going to build next? And, you know, so what, which direction of the many opportunities in, in what you're building are you going to follow? Mm. You've mentioned that you're prone to railing against committee prioritized feature list for software projects. <laughs> and in particular, when uh, they're developed by supposedly, air quotes here, self-organizing agile teams. Can you expand <laughs> on this, this notion or this thought? Because I, I smiled when I read it and I just wanted, I wanted to touch on it. Yeah, it, that was actually driven by an experience experience in uh, particular, so I was actually harking back to something uh, that I'd seen in February when we were trying to move one IT organization from project organization to product organization. I'm a big fan of, you know, so getting people out of demand delivery into, you know, so building a product with intent. And that's, and that's where, and that's what I was thinking of. Most IT organizations don't have enough of an intent uh, and that's why I'm railing against these, you know, so committee decisions, you know, so you got like six people sitting around, uh, you know, so they are supposedly forming an agile team uh, and they're basically just bickering about, you know, so what are we going to do first and what are we going to do last in terms of, you know, so how are, it's, it's all in the end, often enough a political discussion. So who needs what? Who's crying loudest? And what I'm, what I'm trying to get people to is, okay, Think about where you want to be. So what is it that you actually want to deliver? And then start thinking about, you know, 
what are the five, six top things, you know, and how do you order them uh, for the next iteration to be able to deliver something that actually helps the people that, 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 you're, that you're trying to, to build for and not, you know, so how are we going to align all of these wonderful things that we're asked to do? And it, it dovetails again with, you know, so my vision on leadership, I think, you know, so any project, IT project or product out, you know, so, and I think, you know, so they're both the same in the end because you're trying to deliver something digitally for people who want something to get better. You know, so that's that's the that's the bottom line of digitalization for me. You know, so we've got infinite means, you know, so and highly customizable means to build something to make something better. You know, so if I just digitize a stupid paper process, it's going to be a stupid paper process after that. But you have the opportunity to prioritize and see what actually helps people and what you can leave out. Back to that, you know, so committees end up, you know, so just prioritizing the way you're, they're going to build the same as they, as they had before and, you know, so what the political forces are asking for. And so that, that, is, that is actually why I think, you know, you need to sit there, think about what you want to do, set yourself some objectives, measure results, and build for the results and not for a backlog of demands. And a committee that tries to prioritize that, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> Why do you think it's so difficult for people to make that transition? Like, because I think that's an important discussion. Project-based planning, like we had discussed previously, feels very comfortable, right? But it assumes a lot. It assumes that the environment's not going to change, that the customer need is not going to change, that the tooling that the team will use won't change, that there's not going to be new information that they need to incorporate into the final result, right? There's a lot of assumptions there, which is why, you know, I think there is such a big push for digitization on the one hand, because that speeds things up, but also agility, because then it accounts for the fact that that is not the state of play. Things are always evolving and changing. We need to be able to be adaptable, right? You mentioned that leadership is one of the, the biggest challenges for organizations making this leap. And partly uh, because they're so comfortable with the process and all of the, the outcomes that come with that stability and knowing, having that kind of awareness. How do you help organizations at different tiers be able to make that beyond mental leap, right? But the practical leap of we used to be really comforted by these things and now we're looking at agile uh, frameworks and we're looking at OKRs and this is our this is what we need to start getting comfortable in which honestly is very uncomfortable because you have no idea what's going to happen you're tracking all the time so that you can keep up with it how do you help them make that transition I, I'm imagining it's extraordinarily hard especially since you're working with a lot of European companies as we talked about with traditional hierarchies and the like what are you seeing out there well <sighs> I think, you know, so when you're at, uh, while you were asking me, you use the word change a lot. Mm. And, I think, and I think in hierarchical organizations, it's very hard to deal with change. Um, mm. And I think the, the hard part about change is, you know, so you always need to communicate upwards that something has changed. Uh, and the, the, the problem that I see with, you know, so moving people or the organization from a classic waterfall model where you have a plan and you basically report about what you have done. And so, okay, so you're, you're reporting about output. You know, so we have put so many hours in, you know, we've done so many 
even you know so even in agile projects you see it sometimes and so we've done so many story points and actually i've just seen something from management you know so asking for more story points or more irregular delivery of story points and i'm just going like you're crazy guys because that's you know why where is it they're going to get you but bottom line is you know classical project organizations live out of output and stability in the process, you know, so you're guaranteeing output. The bad news about agile organization in that context is you're actually, and in particular, when you have a clear vision where you want to go, you're talking about outcomes and outcomes take decisions every turn. So if I have decided on where I want to be and circumstances change, the number of story points I've been able to deliver because my team uh, is, you know, locked down in COVID and we're, we don't have the communication infrastructure and whatnot require me to take decisions every time. I'm, you know, so I'm going for the next sprint or iteration. And that is actually hard because in a classical A-shaped organization, you've got to go back to your boss and tell him, okay, you know, so that's what I decided. And that's uncomfortable. And actually, I have had this, a discussion with a vice president at a large European telecommunications organization a couple of years ago, where I told him, okay, you, you got to reckon with the fact that, you know, so every six weeks or so, the product team will come back to you and tell you about what they have decided or where they want to go and get your agreement on that. And that guy was just going like, that's not necessary and that's not possible. I don't want to be in these discussions because, you know, so I... We have agreed on requirements. We know that we need a product in 18 months. I've given them the resources. So why do I need to talk to them in the meantime? And so when you're in such an environment where you basically need to decide every turn, you know, sort of get to the best outcomes, and then you need to go up in the organization and tell people, okay, I've decided this because I believe that's getting us closer to our outcome, our desired outcome. And you're getting scolded for you know so moving off the due process and you know, so the project plan then you know so you're pretty much discouraged from taking decisions mm. so it's a lot more comfy to just follow a project plan and you know so do what that organization did basically built uh, 18 months against a product plan only to find out that a product that they wanted or needed to deliver at the end of these 18 months and they needed to deliver about a million units of that per month was not available because, you know, the, unfortunately, the project plan failed. And so they were scrambling at the end of it. You know, so there was a lot of soul searching, head chopping, you know, the usual things. <laughs> and uh, you know, so, and still, you know, with a, with a mindset that basically goes like, okay, I told you what to do. Come back in, to, in 18 months and deliver because I've given you all you need. And you can't change the you can't change the process on the way, or the, you know, so the plan on the way. I mean, that's you're pretty much locked up in something that you can't improve. And for that reason, you know, so not a lot of teams want to take that fight. And you know, so, and the scary thing is that with COVID, a lot of organizations actually have to almost guarantee their, their outcomes at this point in time because, you know, so the, the wiggling space has become a lot less, you know, so the financial space. Um, I'm, I'm just seeing that with at least, uh, well, actually three of our large customers at this point in time, you know, so cash flow is becoming a, a huge discussion. 
Mm. Um, and so everybody is going for safety again, where they actually needed to go for something, uh, or they give, you know, so the people who know, and that's usually the people at the front line, more wiggling space to take decisions for a better outcome. And I think that's where we're, you know, in a, in a very interesting position in the industry at this point in time, because everybody's falling back to what is perceived to be safe. And at the same time, you know, safe is risky at this point in time because you actually need to enable teams to take decisions and encourage teams to take decisions. And uh, I think that's going to be interesting over the next couple of months, years. I think I agree. Like you said that safe is risky at this point. Yeah. I, like when you said that, I was like, whoa, that's, whoa, that's deep. Something that I think both you and I read uh, it seems, is like the McKinsey reports that are coming out specifically around this post-COVID-19 era that we're in. Mm -hmm. And they recommend, and I think both you and I agree, and I want to unpack this, that we need to be able to reinvent our organizations for speed. That's what they said. They had a ready, set, go, yeah. reinventing the organization for speed in the post-COVID-19 era. And a lot of what you just touched on really harkens back to some of the recommendations that they're making for the current business environment, which they think will persist. So I think it would be valuable for us to discuss this, honestly, because you're seeing this on the front lines, working with senior leaders in large corporations that are trying to reinvent themselves and frankly survive in the current environment and hopefully thrive as a result. So you know, you need to be able to speed up and delegate decision-making. Like that's something that you just mentioned. You had a conversation with a, a senior leader about what are some, we'll get tactical here. What are some ways that an organization can start putting that uh, and injecting that into the lifeblood of how the organization works outside of tooling, right? Like having, yeah. you know, conference support does not fix no. speeding no. up. No you know, delegation uh, of decision-making. So can you talk through that a little bit? <laughs> um, yeah, that's actually, that's, actually, that's, a, that's actually the wrong way of digitalization. Most people start with tools uh, and then find out that they need to change their working model and then they need to change, whoops, we're missing something, you know, so we've got great tools, we've got great working model and we're still failing. Okay, then, then there is obviously the part of, you know, so culture and enablement, you know, so that we talked at length about, you know, so, you know, so how people feel more comfortable. Well, you know, so if I wanted to speed up an organization at this point in time, you know, so I would do uh, my best to clarify and over-communicate goals. Mm-hmm. Because that that is really what makes a big difference, and that's that's where I see a lot of challenges. So I think leadership leadership at this point in time needs to become very clear on the goals and give the organization more leeway to achieve those goals. And I think to make it safe to be risky, mm-hmm. I think you know, so OKRs uh, OKRs are a great way of doing that because you know, so if you agree on actionable objectives and key results you do what i believe is the at the core of agile you build a process that is at the same time flexible and ultra rigid because you agility you know so is not about a free-for-all it's about being rigid in the process towards a particular objective or goal and you're being open about how are you going to achieve that as opposed to a classical model where you're 
locking down how to go there uh, and in the end fail like, you know, so the example did, you know, from the big telco that I was talking about, uh, the European one. And I think that is that is where, you know, so how I would speed up organizations. I think the, you know, so the scary bit about that, again, is that culture doesn't support it at this point in time. And, um, you know, so I've seen it numerous times that you know, so actually get new leadership in. You know, so people are willing to make that change, you know, so even as, as much as they can, you know, so depending on where they are in the organization. And then, you know, so people are not really believing that, you know, so they have that leeway all of, all of a sudden. And if they have that leeway, they feel uncomfortable because they don't know how to ha- harness it. And again, mm-hmm. so if I give them guardrails by way of telling them where to go, and agreeing with them, actually, I don't want to tell them. I want to agree with them because they know mostly more about the business. And you know, so I think that that is a difference between European and American companies. You know, so when uh, Steve Jobs came back into office, you know, so and he brought Phil Schiller in. So Phil actually called me up at the time and, and asked me about what was going on in Europe. And we had a nice dinner in the evening, and you know, so a couple of, we met a couple of times about. You know, so he wanted to learn what the world was about before telling me what to do, mm. right? And I think that's important for OKRs as well. Talk to the people on, on the coalface, find out what's going on, and then you know, so co- agree with them on objectives and, and then you know, so focus on these objectives and let them do what is best to get there. And I think that is part of what McKinsey is, is, is trying to point to. And so we need to, get, we need to get faster by setting clear objectives, leaving everything out, giving the organization the wiggle room to get there. But I think the hard part is to set the objectives. And that's more and more what we're doing and working uh, with organizations on. Uh, we have something that we call practical strategy. We've done it twice last week for two teams. And I think that's uh, and so it's a quick and dirty way of assessing where you are and where you need to be. And then hopefully coming out with a bunch of objectives uh, and key results in the end. And it doesn't feel comfy in the first, in the first round, but you know, I think... Uh, you can get to a lot in two days, um, and then you have actually at least a framework where to go. And I think that's that's important to get there. On top of that, right? So, besides being able to set the direction and the goal for the organization or a set of goals, and then giving the teams the space, or as you put it, the wiggle room to actually get there. The McKinsey report or recommendations also included flattening the structure. And when I read that, I thought, oh man, there's going to be somebody (laughs) out there that's kind of having a little trepidation, right? Their heart is beating a little faster because they're like, are you telling me that we have to reorg and probably again? What does this mean, McKenzie? Can you share a little bit about how to think through what they're describing there? Because I don't actually think they're saying, you know, crush the A-frame like they're not trying to say that, right? But I feel I, like I mean, somebody I, will I, misinterpret yeah. that. No, I think I think I think that'd be a scary thought. I mean, you know, so I'm seeing some reorganizations going on, you know, so in times of COVID, uh, and people not not being in the office, you know. I mean, we need if you think of Cotter, you know, so the time of you know, so uncertainty and everything, it, it's amplified crazily by you know not being in the office and being able to comfort each other and talk to each other and stuff so i would thoroughly not recommend to try and you know flatten the a-frame at this point in time and i think that's not what mckinsey means and i think you know so we had a conversation about that beforehand Uh, i believe it is about you know sort of 
flattening the goal structure making sure that making sure that everybody from the bottom you know so the contribution level to the strategic level at the top is working towards the same goals and and again i come back to objectives and key results because you know so at the top at the top objectives are aspirational and you know so it's it's about direction and everything in in, in the mid on a middle level it's about you know so what do we need to uh enable the organization and at the you know the so bottom level or the lower level it's about contributing to what is required at the top you know so what is getting us to the strategy and i think you know so the flattening that we're talking about is making sure that every level understands you know so how they actually work uh, together and you know so how these goals actually lock into each other uh, to focus the organization and speed up the organization to achieving those strategic objectives and not doing a gazillion of things on the right and the left because process uh, required us to. And I think that is that is what McKinsey is talking about. You know, so I would strongly advise against changing organizations at a time at a time where you don't even know, you know, so have a meeting and you can't even, you know, so meet in, in uh, town hall type meetings and stuff and, you know, so have a good conversation because people are still learning to deal with, uh, you know, so 120 people or so on, or so on Zoom and in particular in classic organizations, it's, it's been quite interesting and, you know, so I'm actually sort of excitedly looking forward to uh, such a meeting that I'm actually going to facilitate about a week from now in an organization that's very classical. <laughs> I'm interested in how that goes. Actually a bit scared of that, uh, but I think we're going to get there. I mean, it, it, it's likely that this is not the first time you've encountered such a, a client or an engagement, right? Curious, like, how do you prepare for these? Like, what are you going through uh, in your mind as you're understanding your audience and you're understanding what they need? Because they need help. Otherwise, they wouldn't have reached out to you. And they're trying to achieve something, right? How do you prepare for that? We've worked with so many teams and change processes over the past three, four years. You know, so it must have been in the order of 75 themes or so, you know, so anywhere between 50 and 100 at at least. And like I said, you know, so we we worked with two teams last week again. So we've we've built workflows that usually get us to certain things, you know, so we're pretty good at, you know, so getting a team from hardcore waterfall to at least attempting agile in a day wow uh, uh, and it's by all means not a classical scrum approach but you know so everybody understands you know so we we're, we're looking at our objectives from every every week or every two weeks we're reprioritizing we have a couple of roles we have people who try and make sure that the process works and i think you know we're, we're pretty getting pretty good at that you know so obviously uh oh, we are pretty good at that you know so we're, we're getting pretty good at, you know, so getting practical strategy done in two days as well, because we, we've got a set of tools and, you know, so we've got a clear goal and usually we walk out after two days uh, with a set of objectives and key results. Are these people, are these people on an objectives and key results just on a working OKR program after that? No way. I mean, you know best, you know, so 70% or so of uh, OKR implementations fail because people just go, okay, you know, so we need OKRs because everybody's talking about them and then they forget about them. After we walk out of the workshop, then that's done. But I think it takes a couple of things and inter- highly interactive tools to get there and a clear flow, you know, so where are we today? 
what is your what are your circumstances uh, what needs to change to get to where we want to be how do we prioritize that how would we uh, how would we cast that as objectives and key results uh, and then actually you can walk out of out of a room with the you know sort of good feeling that okay we've at least we have clarified where they need to be beyond you, you know whatever the process told them what needs to change how could that be uh, con concretized in OKRs and then you know so then it's all about you know sort of coaching them from week to week to week to week <laughs> basically coming back and again and that's how we work you know so we we love to work with what we call uh, workshops and pit stops because uh, because uh, you know so we want to get people to a certain point and then help them achieve the rest of it by themselves and that's what pit stops are about you know so optimizing uh, oiling the organization you know re uh, clarifying things that they they found out uh, along the process you know so it's if you will it's uh, it's glorified retrospectives plus um, glorified retrospectives plus <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. You know, so wow. we, we try to find out what's you know, so where you are, what's going well, what's absolutely not working, and what needs to be changed. And you know, so absolutely. what are the top five priorities for the next for the next round? You know, so, mm. uh, and it, it depends on the team and the leadership. You know, so we're going to structure that. But in the end, that's pretty much you no. Know, it's a retrospective, isn't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, that, and that's you know, so how it actually gets into the teams, and that, that's. And I think that like I think that ties on like our conversation beautifully, which is like you can't really shy away when you're tracking with objectives and key results, whether or not you succeeded or failed. Because <laughs> when you look at the results, you're like, we you can't fudge that. There's no amount of storytelling that you yeah. can enrobe around progress against an OKR. <laughs> Uh, to make people look at it and believe something other than what is real. <laughs> and, and I, and that, that's you know? what, yeah, and that's what I like about OKRs because, again, you know, so going back to you know, so what is your role as a manager and as a responsible manager? You're looking at data about what is happening and what's being achieved. And OKR is on top of a, you know, so the, the the rigidity of an agile working model because agile working models, to my mind, are a lot more rigid and prescriptive than a classic working model in a way because it's repetitive and you, you can you're looking at things every week or every two weeks and with okrs you're looking at achievement data every week or every two weeks and that's better than any type of management that you usually have because you know so what you're usually using is kpis and kpis are trailing indicators and okrs give you aspirational indicators are we getting to where we want to be and if you if you're getting there the kpi will automatically improve but okrs are actually a dream for management because they'll tell you in beforehand whether your kpi that you're going to get beaten up by your boss about uh, is actually going to improve and you have the ability to optimize the you know so the improvement beforehand and that's why I like 
you know, so we, we used, you know, so the first project that we used uh, OKRs with was a change project that was going nowhere. And we had to focus it and we had to focus it. And, um, and you know, so also to be able to report to management that we were actually improving on something. And then just by giving the management an insight into what was happening towards our OKRs, we got a lot more calm into the project. So I'm always for signing up for OKRs in the context of agile working models uh, because they make them predictable, they make them goal-oriented. The challenge is for management and leadership to come up with the objectives and be clear about where you want to be. And I think that is a lot of challenge in very disruptive times. And I think you know that's what we should focus on, working with management to get them to help them get clear about where they want to be and then build it into a model that they can track it. I think there's a lot of wisdom and obviously experience in that advice. So thanks for sharing that. We're going to kind of wrap everything up. I've really enjoyed this conversation with some quick fire questions, if you're cool with that. I've been asking a lot of uh, people who've come on the show these quick fire questions, and I always I'm find slow it very with quick fire. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me it, it it makes me inspired at the end. So hopefully it'll be sure. fun. What do you appreciate most about your team? The smartness and the practical experience. Practical experience, you know, so being in the middle of it. Um, I think that's the thing that really helps. Thinking on their feet. What's the, your greatest dream and its associated deadline? <laughs> hmm. My greatest dream is uh, to get our software project out you know, so to actually help organizations achieving a better degree of digitalization, whatever. You know, so we're not going to get into, the, into that discussion and see that you know, so actually be out there first quarter next year. Very cool. What would you say was your proudest moment or where you were most surprised, let's say, uh, when you were working with a client and how they were able to transform? I think um, what I'm proudest of in terms, in, in, in terms of uh, its achievement with clients is with a particular Swiss company where, you know, so we started out uh, with a team that had about 38 blockers in their JIRA. And I believe that by today, we've got them, and that's a little more than 16 months later, we got them to a nice delivery, nice delivery model, obviously with room for improvement. You know, so we're starting to talk with their leadership about OKRs and you know, so how we actually get better at goal setting and integrating the whole organization. And so we're actually, I'm actually quite proud of that, that work. And that was mostly the work of one of uh, the guys I'm working with. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that, I must say. Last question. If you were to give advice to, let's say, traditional leaders in this post-COVID era that we're now living in, what would that piece of advice be? Start with the ends, not with the means. I think that's the most important thing I've, I've learned over the past several years of consulting. Everybody wants to start with a means. Can we implement this? Can we implement that? Uh, can you help us to get more agile? What is agile? Um, why do you want to be there? You know, start with why to go with a popular book title. 
<laughs> Simon Simic, we're talking about you. <laughs> Thank you so much for your You're time welcome. today. This has been an absolute joy. I've learned a lot. I hope you enjoyed it too. So thanks yeah, a me lot. Too. It's, right. it's been, been fun to talk to you and have all these conversations. Thanks. Well, that's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.